When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Knife Talk is sponsored by Even Heat, the manufacturer of the finest knife heat treat ovens available. Find your next heat treat oven at evenheat-kiln.com. So welcome to another episode of Knife Talk. Now today I'll be chatting with another great knife maker. It's Don from Don Win Knives. Welcome to the show, Don. How are you today? I'm doing really well. How are you? I'm very good. Very good. Good to hear you're good. Good. So for those that don't know Don, he makes these, well, they're beautiful and just very highly distinctive kitchen knives. So can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself, Don? Yeah, so I've been making knives since 2011, basically. Um, I started, oh, just kind of out of the blue. I was cooking at home and then I hated dull knives. And then eventually somehow I started watching YouTube videos on sharpening (laughs) And then that led to me watching YouTube videos of, you know, like Japanese masters forging swords in Yanagiba. And I was at a strange point in my life where I wanted to, I don't know, find something for me instead of find something for someone else. And so I I just said right then and there, I was going to make knives. So I spent about a year studying knives, um, just how to make them, like what do I need to get started and just how to actually get the things like rolling yeah so i made my first knife about a year later and then from there on um did it part-time during school and then i'm full-time now yeah okay cool cool so so why kitchen knives so is that you went on youtube you saw these people making knives why specifically kitchen knives i don't really know uh (laughs) i guess it's because i liked cooking and the selfish part of me just makes one of i just want to make whatever i like using <laughs> so there's something romantic about just using a knife every day um putting the research and the time and all of that work and effort into something that just cuts really well compared to what you've been using before yeah yeah and i'd say pretty much the same for me as well so um going into kitchen knives because just because i love being in the kitchen you know and knives have always been that sort of fascination so it, it just mar- marries the two up really nicely exactly so you're so you're a full-time maker now um, how long have you been full time? I started full time last year, so last it's been year. about one year, a little bit over a year now. Wow, wow! I've got to say the the quality on your knives is just fantastic. I just I, I love yeah. them. I love them. So, so who would be your average customer? Are you supplying to chefs or to home cooks or a mix a mix of both? A mix of both. Actually, it's surprisingly a lot more home cooks than I expected. I thought there'd be more chefs, but. Um, the food scene is just growing so much, especially with people just at home wanting to get you know more into what they're making and into the tools that they're using. Hmm. Um, I found a lot of chefs they they focus a lot on just the utility of knives and not really um, a little bit of the aesthetics. But I find a lot of home users really dive into that more. Yeah, yeah, and I suppose a lot of that is due to things like the Food Network, and you know, and chefs are basically becoming celebrities now, aren't they? They're they're releasing books, they're always on the TV, always in the media in front of us, and I think everybody thinks, well, I, I can have a piece of that, you know, I can learn from these guys, and everybody's cooking more, which is brilliant. 
Exactly. That's the same thought I had. Hmm. So, so tell us about your, your workshop. Is that at home? Yeah, it's at home. I actually just moved uh, a couple months ago. I was working out of my parents' garage for the whole time, just a single, you know, one-car garage space. Hmm. Uh, I had everything cramped in there. And that's what I worked out of for six years, I think. And then just last year, my parents bought a new house, and I'm really fortunate that they let me rent it out. And there's a big, nice workshop here, a lot of space, a lot of land. So um, there's a lot of organization that needs to happen before I actually, like, you know, get a little bit more efficient with it. But it's really nice so far. Yeah. If you've got more space, you can fit more stuff in there. That's the way I look at it. Yeah. <laughs> so so what's on your bench today? What, what's your current project? Oh, man. So... Usually I have a bunch of knives on the bench at once, and then I just slowly work towards them, like just slowly work to get them done here and there. So right now I've got, uh, let's see, two chef's knife, chef's knives, one big nakiri, and I have kind of a weird chopper cleaver hybrid experimental project for myself. Hmm. I it's it's kind of a nonsensical object. Like I, I have no idea how it's actually going to be used, but it's just something for fun. <laughs> Every now and then, I do something just for fun for myself. Yes, yeah, yeah. So, so when you say you've got a few things on your bench at once, um, is that because there's a certain process that you you just you just hate doing, <laughs> and you're like, oh, I'll put that off. Let's do the fun bit again, and I'll, I'll keep putting bits off. I'm pretty much the same. Um, yeah, it's yeah, it's half of that, and then part <laughs> of it is just like you you just work more efficient in batches. Yeah, at least yeah. for me, uh, small batches. I don't like to do huge batches, hmm. but like if I'm just profiling out blades or grinding them and heat treating them, it's easier to do them in four, five, six at a time. Yeah, and yeah. then once that's all done, then just focus on one or two to grind, finish out the handle, and so that's how my my work rhythm goes. I'll do a batch of like five or six just to start, and then I I focus on one or two afterwards. Right. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. So I mean, steel choice. Do you have Do you have a favorite at all? I use 52100 and W2. They're about equal for me in terms of enjoyment. Mm. I like the W2 just because, you know, like the hammer and kind of the creative freedom with it. Yeah. But at the same time, it can get frustrating. Whereas 52100, like I can quench that full thickness, comes out straight every time. There's usually never any fuss with it. Whereas W2, like I run into issues kind of frequently. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, do you have a, a, a preferred grind as well? Yeah, th- uh, there's a grind that I started doing a little bit over a year ago, and it's it was inspired by the Japanese like kato knife. It's like a really big, hefty workhorse. Mm-hmm. And at, when I when I read about it online, people were raving about it, and I had no idea how it actually worked because they're so they're beefy, they're thick, like quarter inch thick spine. Until I tried one at a party uh, like years ago, and the instant I did a cut with it, I was like, okay, I get it. So that inspired me, and then I started playing around with that, just really thick stock, like going crazy with the taper, thin edge all the way up to the spine and a thin tip. And I ended up liking the feel of it. I like the balance. I like the way it cut. Um, the feel of it was the most important for me just because, like, you pick up a lot of knives and they're light. And that's not to say it's a bad thing, but I like heft in a blade. I like it to be blade heavy. I like the th- the spine to be super thick and it just feels nice under like the pinch grip. Yes, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I was going to I was going to say actually with the with the the handles that you do. I mean, you make these beautiful beautiful handles. For those who haven't seen the pictures on Instagram, go and take a look because they're well, they're, they're like highly angular. They've got these lovely angles going all all around them. Um, but you've got this sort of oh, how, how would I? It's almost like an arrow point, haven't you? Almost as it mimics the tip of the blade. Um, yeah. So, so I mean, I can imagine that being very handy. So, you know, if you're doing a pinch grip, it's sort of out of your way. If you, if you know, if you're one of those guys who likes to put a finger down the spine, you've got these sort of rests as well for your for your curled fingers or a hammer grip. It just seems really useful, and it, I'm amazed that I haven't seen more people, to, you know, working on that kind of idea of having these sort of ledges that you can sort of rest fingers on and so on. I'm a little surprised too. I actually don't know when or how I came up with that, but it's just been with my design for since the beginning. Mm. Uh, and yeah, you're right. It, when you do a pinch grip, like the, the middle finger, it sits right in the crease of your finger. Mm. It's completely transparent to me. I don't feel it. Um, it's nice and it actually indexes your grip a little bit. That's another important part to my handles is like, I don't like handles that are uh you know they they lock your hand in one grip and just that single grip i like to be able to have like like you said like a pointed grip a pinch grip sometimes hammer um, yeah. i like flexibility and and being able to move your hands around without feeling uh like out of place yeah yeah and i think because yours are so distinctive i think if anybody else did do that now you'd be instantly oh well, you're obviously copying don's knives you know <laughs> um so yeah i think they're very, they're very very clever um and yeah i can i can certainly see other people sort of trying versions of that uh, but keep it on sort of handles do you have a, a favorite handle material that you like to work with i yes and no uh there's a material that i use every now and then called ctech it's that honeycomb like aluminum composite resin kind of stuff oh right okay i really like the way yeah, I really like the way it, it looks. It grinds like butter, and it finishes pretty easily. Hmm. Um, I don't use it that often, just because i I tend to not like I tend to not like to use the same material like repetitively. Yeah. So I take I take long breaks between using the same material. Okay. Okay. Um, sorry. I mean, this is going to sound like I'm just drilling questions at you, but I, because I make kitchen knives too, and yours are far superior to mine. I've just got so many questions for you. <laughs> that's fine Do you, have you got a particular grind that you help that you find helps with food release i know you said you're currently working with this sort of super thick heel and going to you know a very fine point um but with regards to sort of food release do you find something like a like an s grind or something that helps i personally do a convex grind right um but with a really thin geometry like towards the, the edge it's almost flat and then it starts to convex about midway up the blade and it, it has a slight convex all the way from top to bottom, really. Hmm. But I've I've used S-Grind blades, and I like them. It's just personally I haven't done one, and I don't know. Maybe I'll try later on yes, in my yeah. career, but I've just stuck with the convex so much. I like the weight of it. I like the feel. And to me, it just it feels nice to cut with them. Yeah. Okay, cool. Do you do any sort of testing on your blades at all, then? Yeah, I, I generally test all, all my blades um, on potatoes. That's a really nice <laughs> cut. You get to you get a sense of how much it wedges and how much it sticks. Yeah. And then carrots and onions. Carrots are really good for like the geometry right at the edge. Um, and then onions are really good for the tip, like the tip work. 
mm. not too thick, not too thin. I've, I've made knives that were way too thin at the tip and they cut really well, but you have to be super careful with them and people get off put like, yeah. you know, knives like that. And that's what I find actually, if I'm doing work for a, a sort of an established chef, they generally want something very, very fine. But when you, you sort of home cooks, they'll say, well, we want, you know, a proper chef's knife. We want something that, you know, a real chef would use. But yeah, it, it's sometimes it's sort of educating them that, you know, a very, very fine edge isn't the most durable for, you know, for a standard home kitchen where, you know, your crazy uncle over Christmas may be using the knife or your grandmother may pick it up one day. You know, it, 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 needs, right. it needs that looking after, doesn't it? I was going to say, a lot of times it's been the opposite for me, too. Just the, the chefs will abuse their knives, like, you know, maybe not abuse, but they use them hard. Hmm. And the delicate knives aren't suitable for them. But, it, I mean, everyone has their own personal use. Yes, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So do you do any, like, knife shows or exhibitions at all? I go to shows every now and then, mostly for fun, though. I don't really sell at shows. Hmm. Uh, I have a pretty good market online and i don't really have trouble selling on there whereas with a show you have to get a table you have to stay at the table um i like the networking part of the shows the most yeah so yeah. i go to i go to blade show and then i've i went to eugene knife show last year i'm thinking of going again nice nice what well, unfortunately where i am there's just nothing around i'm in the middle of nowhere but we do oh, have yeah we do have this this crazy little sort of a local village and it turns into a knife village once a year and um so you get all these really? knife, these knife makers come for the whole weekend and it's really crazy because there's there's a bit of a history in the area of, of knife making but, um but not anymore unfortunately so it's almost like um some sort of historic fate and everybody comes together it's great but it's but it's nothing like the blade show it's it's nothing like any of these big shows you know hmm. Hmm. so i've talked on the show in the past about this this perfect balanced knife for a chef do you think such thing exists or do you think everybody's got their different taste and that, you know, there's not one perfect knife for everybody? I think everybody has their own personal tastes and you, you may have a perfect knife for somebody, but you give it to somebody else and they might think it's just garbage. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is always difficult, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of the dream for a lot of knife makers to have this, this one knife that they've perfected. And they can just they can just hammer these out, and that's that, you know that's what they're known for this particular knife. Mm -hmm. But yeah, when you do custom knives and you're speaking to different people, yeah, you do have to adapt. So there's, it's, you know, it's not one size fits all. Mm -hmm. So so I've I've noticed that you've made a couple of EDC knives over the past few weeks. So is that something you're going to be doing more of, or you you're going to stick with kitchen knives? And this was just a sort of an experiment. What what's all that about? Uh, I don't, I'm not really sure. Uh, I've made a couple EDCs in the past and then, um, I've made a few other like outdoors knives. Like I've made the chopper. Uh, I made a couple choppers actually, hmm. but yeah, mostly my focus is on kitchen knives. It's just every now and then I feel like making something different. Yeah. Yeah. But this is, the surprising thing is, um, I thought the EDCs would sell like a lot quicker, but I guess people just like me for my culinary stuff more. And I like making the kitchen knives more. I actually get tired of the EDCs really quick. Yeah, yeah. And again, it's one of, I talked about this before on the show that it's it's easier to get known for a particular style of knife, isn't it? Um, mm -hmm. But that can sort of pigeonhole you where you, you know you, maybe you want to try something different, but you're not really known for that. So your customer base doesn't sort of reflect what you're trying to do, you know? Right. 
Let's talk about one of our sponsors, Tormac. To get great razor-sharp and repeatable edges, you're going to need a Tormac. To find out more, go to Tormac.com, which is T-O-R-M-E-K.com. Okay, let's get back to the show. So, so how much leeway do you give to a customer with regards to designs? I mean, do you ever get commissioned for something that you just don't like the look of? Then you, you, you sort of say, well, I prefer not to, or do you work with the customer from the very beginning? It's, it's surprisingly been pretty good. Um, I only do a few orders a year nowadays, so it, I don't have, I don't really get like a huge influx of people wanting something, you know, wild. Hmm. And the, the few people that do get orders with me, they're usually really good about it. Um, they know what I'm good at. They want my knives for that reason. And so they usually leave it up to me to come up with the design. Like they give parameters on what they're looking for in a knife and then the rest is up to me. Or, you know, I've had knives where they want to completely spec out to certain dimensions and weights and stuff, but still keeping the aesthetic. I usually don't get anybody who who's like, oh, I want this with this kind of profile, this kind of handle shape and blood. And it's like totally different, but um, I guess I'm fortunate in that aspect. People people come to me for what I've been known for. Yeah, yeah, and I suppose that's another bonus of doing something so specific. As I say, your knives there, they're instantly your. If I saw a knife of yours, I could tell it was your knife, and I suppose that that sort of helps you in a way because people, you know, they come to you for that's something special, you know. Right. So. Do you have somebody that keeps you in check and gives sort of critique on your work? I mean, we all sort of post on Instagram and Facebook and so on, and generally people are very nice and respectful. But do you have somebody who can see any sort of minor faults and pushes you to make it better each time? I actually do. I, I'm in this group chat on Facebook with Marco, mm-hmm. uh, with William Brigham, Tom Ward, and Edward Braun. And I'll post knives on there. And I'll ask for opinions or critique and stuff. And sometimes, you know, they'll be like, uh, the handle material doesn't really work with that knife or your fit and finish here. You know, like it might be lacking in some aspects or like the visual balance isn't right. Hmm. Um, so we're, we're pretty good to each other in terms of just giving feedback and direction to improve. Yeah. And then I, I was going to say, I actually have an apprentice now that I'll, uh, if I have issues with a certain knife, he gives a second opinion on it. So it's not just you alone in the shop then? Right. So it's now two people. Nice. Nice. Okay. So another question I've asked in the past, but it's it's always good to get different opinions. So particularly, you know, with yours, your brand is you. Your your name's on the blade. So how do you scale up production and grow that business without losing that sort of sense of you in in each blade? that's something I've been thinking about for quite a while. I'm not really sure what the answer is. Hmm. So I have plans of expanding like the brand and the name and making it a lot more. But then at a certain point, like if my hands aren't on the blade as much, like, is it still a Don Wynn knife? And hmm. so um, my idea was to do, you know, a really high end line where I just kind of make the craziest projects that just come to my mind. And then having a separate, you know, like a more a mid-range knife for a lot of the, you know, normal chefs and home cooks at home where they might not want to spend, you know, a lot and get this like really ornate piece. It, yeah, it's, it's always a difficult one and, and something that, you know, people ask me quite often as well and I've got no answer for it and everybody seems to have a different answer. But um, yeah, it's very, very difficult. 
So, so mm-hmm. let, let's go back to your knives and your and your process. So, do you forge your knives? Do you uh, how are they shaped? Is it stock removal? What, what what's your process for that? Yeah, stock removal. It's, my knives are pretty simple in nature. Like, I just cut out the blade shapes uh, out of the bar stock, and then if it's fifty to one hundred, I'll do you know the holes, and then I'll profile it out, and then from there it just goes straight to heat treat, and I heat treat them full thickness. Yeah. If I do if I do W two, then I'll I'll do a grind on that beforehand just so i can get you know the the difference in thermal mass from the spine to the edge i i did forge my knives years back when i first started um that's when i was working out of a the school workshop and they had a forge and stuff like that um and then now i want to get a forge again so i can start uh, going back to the hammer that was a lot of fun that i just miss and it's a lot of flexibility that i miss too is you can make whatever shapes you want yeah, yeah. But I speak to a lot of other knife makers, and um, the majority are forging their blades. And I, I'm the same. I don't. My, my my blades are stock removal. And I talked about this in a, in a past episode with, with Mareko, which was just a couple, just a week or so ago, about mm-hmm. how how sort of modern steels they you know they perform very very well. You know, with with a flat bar stock, they'll perform just as well as a as a forged blade. Um, they do. They are less likely to get cracks or inclusions. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, there is just something very cool, isn't it? About having some fire and a big hammer and just knocking yeah. it down. <laughs> and to, uh, like, th- this might be unscientific, but it tells a nice story when, you know, it was forged under a fire. Um, yeah. and people, people buy that kind of, you know, um, relationship with the steel. Yeah. Oh yeah. Completely. Completely. So even the sort of, I generally try to make a video with each customer knife that I make. Um, just a short sort of two or three minute video showing various processes of the knife that they're making. Um, mm-hmm. But it's it's always the sort of the quench or, you know, when the, when the, the metal's red hot, that's the bit everybody's interested in, you know, that sort of mm-hmm. transformation from a bit of steel to, well, to, to becoming a knife. Um, so, yeah, as much as, as much as I'd like to say, well, I, you know, maybe a stock removal knife is probably structurally better and maybe performs better. Um It'll just never be as cool as a forge knife. So, like you, I think I'm I'm going to have to sort of take that jump at some point and start forging knives. Mm-hmm. So, if you weren't making knives, what do you think you'd be doing with your life? I actually had a crossroad when I graduated college a little bit over a year ago. I was debating: do I make knives or do I go? Do I pursue a career in like motorsport, like motorsport engineering? Because during college, I was in a club that made formula race cars, like small-scale formula cars. Like, we wow. built, we designed and built everything from ground up. Wow, and, and you, that ra- was one you my... raced these, too? Yeah, we did. Oh, yeah. awesome. And that was one of my childhood dreams was, you know, designing cars. Hmm. Um, that's one of the joys I have with making knives, to be able to design them and create them. And I was at a 50-50 um, decision, either, you know, pursuing something engineer-related with motorsport or to do full-time knives. Hmm. Um, so if I wasn't doing knives, I'd who knows where, like who knows where I'd be right now. So across the country, uh, trying to get a job in, you know, like Corvette racing or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's one of the joys really of knife making as well, isn't it? That you can, you know, you can, you can set up shop at home or wherever you are, and you know, and that's 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 where you work. You've got no boss. You're your own your own man. Hmm. Yeah, but yeah, motorsport, that would be cool. That would be very cool. It's cutthroat, though. It's it's so intense with motorsport. With the knives, I can 
work at my own pace. Yeah. Just do my own thing. Now, I'd imagine very competitive as well to get into. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's going to be difficult, yeah. Okay, so I'm going to finish with the same question that I ask everybody at the end of every show, mm-hmm. which is whose work is impressing you and inspiring you at the moment? There's quite a few. Uh, so let's see, just like fit and finish and design and execution, Kyle Royer, he's one of them. Um, Kyle Royer, yeah, Kyle Royer, um, Jean-Louis Regal and Julian Antunes, they all make, you know, like extremely well executed um, designs. Hmm. All of them, like the fit and finish is just through the roof. So I like I like stuff like that a lot, where it's just you might never know like when you're going to get to that point uh, in terms of just being able to create something at that level. And then there's people like Nick Wheeler and oh, Marco. Oh, God. We're going to have some alarm going off in a second because Nick Wheeler's <laughs> name is mentioned in every episode. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how many times it's been now. But yeah, Nick Wheeler's one. He's just been inspirational with like his knowledge and uh, just the things he makes. And Marco, the same way, he's super open about his process. His knives are incredible. I've used them. I've handled them. And we're like, we're best friends, basically. Oh, very um, nice. Very nice. He's Yeah, he's a great inspiration. Just like more than just knives. He's a great person. Yeah. And man, and then, man he can talk as well, can't he? <laughs> oh, yeah. I just listened to his podcast, too. It was, it was good. <laughs> he ba- then, barely came up for breath. It was incredible. <laughs> <laughs> And then Outsider Knives, actually, one of my role models is Ivan Orkin of Ivor Ramen in New York. Right. Yeah. Uh, he's just got such a an interesting viewpoint in making his food. And I just like, it's so, I don't know what's the, the word to describe it. Um, it speaks to my soul, essentially. Hmm. Uh, in his opening episode in Chef's Table, he says, uh, I'm the kind of a go fuck yourself kind of guy. <laughs> And I don't know. I like I like that a lot. Yeah, spirited attitude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Dom, for taking the time out. Um, I'm gonna let you get back to your shop and finish off those beautiful knives that you do. If somebody wanted a knife from you, where where would they find you online, and how would they get hold of a knife? If you go to johnwinknives.com into the contact slash newsletter page, there's a newsletter sign up. That's where I sell all my stuff. That's when I do updates on my order list opening and any other events going on cool cool okay well thank you so much and um, and hopefully we speak to you again soon thank you every time when you visit arizona time is measured in moments not minutes like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate but nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.